When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five-star rating and review button. And now... On with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, in a godforsaken year where every new media leak seemed to unveil more and more dysfunction within the organization, whether true or not, there was at least one leak that gave Lakers fans a cause to rejoice. And I'm talking about 6'3 scoring guard Leak, Leak Monk, Malik. Fleek! <laughs> I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, and today we are talking about all things Leak, all things Malik Monk, and where we draw the line on retaining him. Should we be privileged enough to even ask that question, considering Malik may have potentially outpriced himself for us, and the market will let us know soon enough. Tommy, based on what you expected out of Monk at the beginning of the year when we signed him to a vet min exception and... The Charlotte Hornets rescinded his $8 million qualifying offer. Based on what you expected out of him when we signed him with that vet min exception and what he ended up actually producing on the court, though it was a lost year, contextualizing all of that into your answer, without getting into too many details, are you satisfied with the monk we ended up getting and did he live up to your expectations? I think he exceeded my expectations, mm. actually. Like, I thought he was going to have a good year be- and probably better than a lot of people expected. Because if you looked at his season last year, I mean, he had shown flashes in Charlotte. He obviously got off to a really bad start. But I remember when he was being recruited. I mean, when he was being recruited out of high school to go to Kentucky, even, he was super highly regarded. 
when he was coming out of Kentucky, he was like, oh, maybe he's going to be, you know, and he had some big games with Kentucky. Maybe he's going to be the next Kentucky guard who comes in and, and just dominates in the NBA. And he's always had like a pure sh- shooting stroke. And, you know, for a variety of reasons that never really clicked the first couple of years. But last year you sort of started, and especially in the second half of the season, you know, he got healthy. Things started to click for him. He had better teammates, better coach, and you saw the potential. And the hope was, well, the the first hope was we would be a contending team. But the second hope was on a contending team, could he maintain those, you know, that kind of impact? And I think he he really did a good job this year of figuring out his way. Like nothing was just given to him, you know, in the preseason. It wasn't like we had, we ended the season with a lot of guards, but we started with an even worse, you know, glut of guards. And it was not even a guarantee that he was going to be a rotation player, which in hindsight feels very crazy that, you know, that was even a a possibility. But, you know, people were like, oh, it's Frank. He's going to go to Wayne. Guys like Wayne are going to get the, you know, deference. Kendrick Nunn is is more of a true point guard, et cetera. So Malik is probably going to be squeezed out. But he came in and from the preseason set the tone of this is who I am and this is the kind of ability I can bring. I I think I expected him to show his athletic prowess. I expected him to be able to hit some shots here and there. But his consistency, I think like the two things that were the most surprising to me were his consistency as a shooter. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one thing to hit shots in Charlotte, but as we've seen, it's another thing to hit shots under you know the spotlight in LA with LeBron passing you the ball. Well, not even with LeBron and AD fully healthy, right? So he didn't even get exactly. the full extent of getting that gravity for him. Exactly, so. exactly. So that was one thing that impressed me. Second thing that impressed me was just him as a creator for himself and for even for his teammates. I thought you know the latter part of that developed more as the season yes. progressed. Um, but you know, notwithstanding that, he's not a point guard. Um, he can try to develop some combo guard skills. And I think that'll only help him as he continues to develop in his career. He's still very, very early in his career and has a ton of room to grow. Um, so those skills will definitely help him, but for his position and the type of player, I think he is, and, and, you know, would probably be most effective as moving forward. The ability to create for himself can be overlooked either. Mm -mm. Um, there's not as many guys as you think out there who can create like that and score at every level. He can, he can score from the mid range. He can hit floaters. He can finish at the rim, um, with both hands. He can hit the three pointer. He is going to always have his limitations as a, you know, particularly on the defensive side of the ball because of his size, but he is a legit, legit NBA player. And, you know, the, and the greatest thing about him, and we saw it in the exit interviews, is he's really willing yes. and eager to accept any role. And his best role moving forward for this team or for any team that signs him is probably going to be as a sixth man. And, I mean, this guy is like could be one of the best six men in, in the NBA if he continues to develop. Exactly. And like you mentioned, a lot of those guys who do those things that you just said, scoring on his own, playmaking a little bit, not being a good defender, being small as a guard, those are your perennial, you know, six men of the year type guys. Jordan Clarkson, Lou Williams, right? Except 
Malik Monk shoots better than all of those guys in terms of like a pure shooting capacity. And before I forget this, we're going to get more into the reasons why maybe retaining Monk, you give a little bit more premium to retaining Monk, even if there's a bigger position of need. But before I forget, one reason why you should definitely retain Monk is his chemistry with Austin Reeves, the Arkansas right. boys, right? I mean, you just saw not only are they simpatico on the court, but off the court, they're like... BFFs, you know, uh, just from their history with one another, but also their games just vibe off of each other so well. Um, question for you, and this is a low bar to clear, but still, I think it's worth noting. In the LeBron James and Anthony Davis era, Monk has to be the most talented and versatile on-ball creator and three-level scorer they've had next to them, right? Right. It should have been Westbrook, but we know what happened there, and <laughs> Westbrook isn't a three-level scorer, and that's you know, an understatement. Last time we had anyone as talented as Monk on ball was probably, what, Brandon Ingram, Jordan Clarkson, or D'Angelo? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, probably D'Angelo. I mean, it's hard to tell, too, because Monk is so much more developed than those guys were when we had them. They were still very raw, but it's been a while. It is. Yeah. I mean, it was noticed, like, even as early as the preseason, people were... People were looking all the way back to like Nick Van Exel. You know what yeah. I mean? So <laughs> That's true. It's been that long. And so I don't think you just willy nilly give those guys away, especially if you found if you found gold in a season that was just lost to you. It's it's good to invest in something that you've kind of already put some work into. So this season, Malik Monk, he played a career high twenty eight minutes and you know, you'd expect him to have career high numbers just because of the high um, minute average. But I guess what you wouldn't expect is, and something that you alluded to, was higher efficiency with higher minutes. You know, Malik Monk had pr- pretty much had career highs across the board, save for three point percentage. This season, he averaged career high 13.8 points, 3.4 rebounds, three assists, career high 47% from the field, which as a 6'3 guard, That's nuts. That's nuts. Taking a lot of perimeter shots, taking a lot of really tough shots. Really tough shots, yes. 39% from three, uh, hitting 2.33s a game. That's a career high. 59.7 true shooting percentage. And this is with, like you mentioned, the slow start baked in. And even throughout the season, his role getting jostled back and forth, right? First, he's starting, he's winning you games versus the New York Knicks, and then next, he's benched and only playing 20 minutes, right? Frank did that to him multiple times, and he even said in an interview, I'm used to the roller coaster. And out of any Laker that we've seen recently, Malik Monk definitely falls into that category of kind of like Kyle Kuzma being a rhythm player. He's so much better when he knows his role, how many shots he's going to get, what his usage is. And I think towards the latter end of the season when they started putting the ball more in his hands and Frank had the gall to sit Russell Westbrook in closing situations, we really got to see Monk shine. So Tommy, when Monk has played 30 plus minutes, which he's done 33 games this season, Malik Monk averages 19.1 points, four rebounds, 3.3 assists, on 49% from the field, 42% from three, hitting 3.23 as a game. That is starter level. <laughs> that will get it done. That'll get it done. As a starter, he averaged 17 points, four rebounds, 3.3 assists on 48% from the field, 42% from three, hitting 2.9 a game. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like, it, it, that's the ideal sixth man, right? Because the sixth man typically, the ideal sixth man, in my opinion, if you look at like the mold of like the Jordan Clarkson and like obviously in the old days, Lou Will, it's like a guy that on any given night, you could plug him in to the starting mm-hmm. lineup. It's just the case that he's better suited off the bench for a variety of reasons. Often the case being that like, you know, your starters, you typically want them to have a little bit more balance on both sides of the court. Um, but, but you know, the fact that you put Monk in at those starter minutes and he gives you starter production, the fact that, like you mentioned, it was a roller coaster, you know, and he was able to put up the numbers. It's not the case that we put Malik in the exact most ideal situation for him and he created, you know, this season for himself. It it was up and down. We put him in all kinds of weird lineups, weird looks, uh, random DNPs, especially early in the year and and he and he just thrived through all of that yeah you can't take that stuff for granted and so with regards to his playmaking at the turn of the new year Malik Monk averaged three assists in every month from January February March April Uh, he averaged 3.5 assists in March and then in the five or five or six games in April he averaged five assists when um, the stars were out so is Malik Monk's handle loosey-goosey a little bit yeah for sure uh, but I think this is also the first time he's gotten those opportunities, though. And with another offseason with the team and maybe feel handy if he's still on the staff, him developing his handle, de- developing his playmaking skills, I think will really do well, do wonders for him and his development. I mean, he's only 24 years old, um, and we already, we've already seen within this season his chemistry building with guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis and him being able to throw lobs to Anthony Davis. And so right. um, I think that's an that's an area of his game that I think we'll want to continue to harness. And outside of that, I don't think it can be understated just how momentum building um, his exciting dunks are in transition, you know? Like when he throws down those hammer jams, the likes of which we haven't seen since... You know, I don't know who outside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, of course, the fact that this guy can throw down windmills and is catching lobs with one hand and then draining three threes on your face. I mean, that's what gets the crowd riled up. And that's that's the sort of energy boost and momentum builder that you can have when you have the right pieces on this team to run up and down and play frenetic. It just so happened that Monk was on an ill-fitting roster that never fully clicked. But if we get a roster where the cylinders are firing more often than not, Malik could definitely be such a just such a catalyst to Showtime type basketball. Um, okay, so let's move on to the caveats to keeping Monk with the mini MLE, and I'll get this out there right now um, in terms of what I've been feeling from Lakers Nation. So I don't know whether it's because of the season, the haze, and the cloud this season has put on every player. I don't know if it's because we've seen Monk play day in and out and we've been exposed to all of his flaws, just that he's still too small, that his handle can be a little loose. Although I don't know how anybody can complain about Monk's turnovers after a full season of Westbrook, but maybe because we've seen so many turnovers from Westbrook, any turnover we see from anybody else, we're kind of, we kind of get PTSD from, but I don't know if you've gotten this sense, but I feel like people are starting to get a little too cute and hipstery with their outlook on Monk to the point where they're eschewing him entirely with the mini MLE. Um, And that's not guaranteed to us, you know, although all indications point to Monk being willing to come back for that mini MLE and 
giving us his early bird rights. But I think people are starting to take for granted everything that he's done and just focusing so much on the fact that he doesn't play any defense, he's too small, and he won't make it in the playoffs as that type of guard. Um, That, and again, I think that this terrible season has cast a shadow and bitter taste on maybe what Monk has done and maybe people looking at him as just a looter in a riot. Um, that I think at this point, some Lakers fans, it may just be one of those situations where the shiny new thing that you don't know is more enticing to you. And for me, I kind of just disagree with that overthinking on Malik Monk. We haven't had a guy, as I mentioned, this talented on the ball since our young core guys who at at one point or another have all made all-star games or are contributing at high levels to competitive teams. And so if you can get in now on the early and young Lou Will and establish him for the future while he continues to develop as a player, I feel like you have to do that. And on the playoff front, I think people need to be reminded that you have to get to the playoffs first, as this season showed, right? And you need guys who can play an 82-game regular season and be that spark off the bench or be that pinch hitter starter who can put up 20 points. And so... In my opinion, beggars can't be choosers, and Monk isn't even like yeah. a bad player, you know. So you'll you'll be hard pressed to find a talent like Monk, even with all of his flaws and holes. And we're gonna get into some other options, uh, free agent options, in the second part of this episode to see where we would draw the line. But I've just gotten too much of this sense where people's like, "Yeah, you know, I don't I don't even know if I want Monk back for the mini Emily." And and to me, I just don't agree with that mindset like of course there are caveats to be taken with regards to it's not just a blanket statement if monk's willing to come back for the mini emily you take him but would you agree that in most situations again if we contextualize things you'd probably want to bring monk back at that price i would i okay all i will say just to play devil's advocate because i do agree with essentially everything you said but just to play devil's advocate i do sort of see the argument from maybe lakers nation or lakers twitter about why not to bring back monk the problem right is not that malik monk is a bad player but i think there's a couple of factors at play i think number one is there's a natural tendency to undervalue what a person did during a bad season i think you know the same thing we've seen this before right and because i think it's because there's a history of getting burned it's you know, although Kyle Kuzma has proven to be who we thought he was back in the day, ultimately, you know, there was there was always that talk of him having that great rookie year where he averaged like 19 points a game on good efficiency and blah, blah, blah. And then once the team actually got good, all of that went away. Um, you sort of saw similar things with Jordan Clarkson's rookie year. I think if, if people remember, he had like a 30-point triple-double against Westbrook and, and OKC mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, there there have been like a number of these sorts of instances over the past that I think people's natural inclination is to downplay a really good season when somebody does it on a team that was playing a lot of meaningless games. My main counter to that would be, of course, that Malik was doing this even when the games were more meaningful. So I I don't know that, you know, you could totally write them off for it. But I think that's one factor. I think the second factor is this team, unfortunately, for no fault of Malik's, has so many glaring weaknesses on it that I think people are reluctant to say like this six, three shooting guard, who's probably best suited as a sixth man 
is the best use of potentially the only summer free agent sure. <laughs> spending power that we have, right? Like in an ideal world, we end up with the bigger MLE and maybe the biannual exception if we're able to get ourselves far enough below the cap such that we could hard cap ourselves, right? And in that case, if you said, oh, for the BAE 4.1 million or whatever, we'll take Malik Monk, I think most people would be like, yeah, great, because then we still have the 10 million to use on somebody else. But if we're living in a universe where, you know, again, not knowing what we're going to get for Westbrook and we only have the $5 million MLE to work with and nothing else, I can see why some people's inclination would be to say, okay, maybe this is not best used on Malik. Maybe this is best used on another wing. However, as we've discussed, <laughs> there are not that many wings that are prob- are worth that uh, $5 million MLE anyway, so... And also counter-argument, which we'll get into in the second half of this episode when we talk about some free agent options and all of the and outline the landscape of Monk's market, you also have to take into account trade asset value. And Malik Monk at $6 million, even if you get another guy at $6 million who fills a position of need, it's going to be hard to find a guy with the shine and, and glitz as Monk as a trade asset. You know what I'm saying? So at some point, you just have to say, let's get the talent. You know, let's get the talented player. I know that has hurt us in the past, but when a guy has actually legitimately produced like Monk has, I don't think you're ever putting yourself in a pinch, even if it seems like we have too many guards or whatever. And there's a lot of factors that play into this, including like, who do we get back in a Russell Westbrook trade, right? If we get a bunch of guards back, then you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to sign a seventh guard in Malik Monk, right? So those are things you have to take into account. But at the end of the day, you also have to look at Monk as a trade asset. And if you can lock him up at $6 million, that's a piece that you can easily move, you know, and would have more value to other teams because they know, oh, this guy's a scoring guard who can be our Lou Will. Um, With that said, let's take it to break. And when we return, we'll lay out the specifics of Monk's market and where we draw the line on who we would take over Monk for the mini MLE and where we would just take Monk in general. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. couple caveats that I alluded to before the break about keeping Monk. And for the purposes of this episode, we'll just talk about him in terms of the mini MLE price of $6 million if he's willing to take that. The first caveat is, of course, who we get back in a Westbrook trade. If Heald and Brogdon are coming back in the proposed, rumored Indiana trade, it makes less sense to retain Monk, even at $6 million, because you have so many redundant scoring guards. And who knows if Kendrick Nunn's even in that deal, although I presume that he would be in that deal with Westbrook, just so that we don't have so many guard bodies. But that's something to keep in mind um, with regards to retaining Monk. And I think that even goes for the proposed Charlotte trade if we get Rozier back. At that point... Do you still keep Monk at $6 million? Tangent question, Tommy, though. Yeah. Monk or Healed? Because. Yeah, I see where you're going with it. I see where you're going. I actually think Monk is a better player, especially given the age and the contract. I looked at Peel's season as well. Monk, by far, has all the better numbers, too. I think Healed is maybe more of a pure. Like the traditional type of, you know, I can run this guy around any sort of bizarre screen and have him take a fadeaway three-pointer and he can make it. Like, maybe in that sense, Heald has a slight advantage. He has a slight size advantage, but that doesn't necessarily make him a better defender. But yes, it it is close. I mean, you lose a lot of the playmaking and stuff Monk can do with the ball in his hands. 
Yeah, I feel like you're almost knocking Monk for being a little too versatile when describing Heald as this. Because I think Monk can do those same things. It's just that he likes to get a little bit frisky with the ball because he can. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting argument to be like, all right, I guess we're getting the $18 million version of Monk and just going to let Monk go. And so... Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate. So there's that first caveat with retaining, with regards to retaining Monk. Like, who are you getting back in a Westbrook trade or even a THT trade? Second, even if we don't get guards back in a trade, we have to look at the free agent market and see if there are any players who, while they may not have the same upside or verve that Malik has, if there are any players at a different position of need than Monk, who could provide us with more size and versatility that, you know, we won't be able to get with minimum contracts, as Tommy mentioned at the, during the first part of our episode. So with that said, Monk's value is shaking out to be in the 6 to $10 million range, so right in the mini MLE range for the Lakers, similar to the way the Bucks signed Portis to a discounted $4 million last season, last offseason. Likely so they can make him whole this summer through his bird rights. I think the Lakers can structure something similar with Monk where he'll make $6 million next year. Maybe he'll have a player option for another $6 million next offseason. But really, the Lakers by 2023 will have Monk's early bird rights, which they can use to give Monk 175% of his previous salary. So his $6 million salary which means they can then negotiate a new contract in 2023 starting at around $10.5 million for a longer-term deal with incremental raises. Um, So that may be the route that the Lakers choose to go with with regards to Monk. Um, So let's talk about some other free agent options, and I just want to see, Tommy, where you draw the line on signing this free agent for the mini Emily or Malik Monk. I'll throw some names out and you just tell me who you would take over Monk or whether Monk would supersede them all. With regards to similar size guards, there's 28-year-old Gary Harris. There's Victor Oladipo, highly injured Victor Oladipo. Gary Payton II, who's going to be 30 years old, played for the Golden State Warriors and kind of had a semi-breakout Alex Caruso type season. Um, and then a dark horse would be Colin Sexton because the Cavs have a qualifying offer of $8 million to use on him. If they rescind that and make him an unrestricted free agent, could be an interesting bargain steal to take a risk on, uh, to take a risk on same way that Charlotte declined Monk's $7 million qualifying offer and the Lakers swooped in. But out of the similar sized guards crop, Gary Harris, GP2, Oladipo, Colin Sexton, who would you like take a gamble on over Malik Monk if you would at all? Assuming all of these people can be had for our price, which is obviously potentially not the case, uh, the ones I'd be most interested in are probably Gary Harris and Sexton. I mean, Sexton, I think, just has a ton of upside. I thought he kind of showed it last year before his injury. Um, not this past season, obviously, but last season. So it, it I just don't think that we realis- realistically have a shot of getting somebody like that. But I think you don't lose a lot if you go that way and you potentially gain a little bit more in terms of consi- somebody who's shown that they can maybe do this, what Malik did in bursts, like consistently over an 82-game season. Um, Gary Harris, I think, gives you a little more defense and size. But I personally have never loved him as a player, to be honest, but He's- I... He's just like a young Avery Bradley to me. I can see the trajectory going that way. And at that point, it's just like, do we give up the continuity that we've gained with Monk and that exciting play for like, 
all right, here's younger Avery. So I, it's close to me. I understand the intrigue with Gary Harris. It's just such a, it's kind of uninspiring when propped up with Monk, who could potentially be your sixth man of the future for the next four years, you know? Like if you envision, if you like look at Monk as your Lou Will, that has a ton of value because he's only 24 years old, right? So I get it with Gary Harris, but it's close. Now, the one name that a lot of Lakers Nation has been sort of parading about is Gary Payton II. And I just, you know, he's a he's a good, solid player and one that, you know, the Lakers probably should have kept in their farm system. But the upside on Gary Payton II is so low on every angle, you know? One, he's never going to be Caruso because he's not the same size as Caruso. He's like 6'3". While he does have a pretty long wingspan, he doesn't even have the playmaking skills as Caruso because I think too many people are putting that Caruso label on GP2 and already sort of making him into this like, oh yeah, if we have the mini MLE, let's just give it to GP2 off of one season? Like, he's exciting as hell, don't get me wrong. Like, he has the same athleticism as Malik Monk and is dynamic in transition and all that but the dude can't hit threes consistently while he is a hound on defense is like you're kind of going in that like Avery Bradley Malik Monk sort of debate again except Gary Payton too is even more limited offensively and so I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on GP2 even though he's a guy that I would want on this team but I don't know where you stand on the Gary Payton thing yeah I I think it's there's going to be a desire to try to find somebody to fill the void that, you know, Caruso left when he left the team. So I think Gary Payton, GP2 is like a guy that people look at and think like maybe he could be that guy, you know? So I I don't know. I, I don't know that he really moves the needle. He doesn't move the needle. And then also, if you just look at Gary Payton, the second on a $6 million contract and Malik Monk as a $6 million contract, while he's not a negative asset, Like, Malik Monk is the trade asset there, right? Even if you're thinking about future moves. And so he doesn't even give you upside in that respect. He's going to be 30 years old, 31 next season. And look, he has made huge strides in the league. But at the end of the day, you don't give up on a talent like Monk and everything that he can give you offensively. Not to mention, Tommy, this is important. Not to mention, if LeBron James goes down again during an 82-game regular season, you're going to need someone to pick up the slack offensively, right? Right. In that situation, I think you keep the guy who you've already invested a year into. So that's kind of my take on uh, Gary Payton II. Moving on to the wing. So this is actually a position of need. Um, so the Lakers are probably going to try and course correct and try and fill their roster with wings. But the market is so dearth and scarce in that department that maybe they have to use that $5 million on a wing instead of Malik Monk. So... Here are the options at wings in terms of, this is not a comprehensive list, but just guys that I sort of cherry-picked out for the purposes of time. Robert Covington, 31 years old. Otto Porter Jr., 29 years old. And TJ Warren, 29 years old. TJ Warren, by the way, bubble Jordan. 19-point scorer who can hit threes. (laughs) He's essentially a better three-point shooting Kuzma without Kuzma's defensive versatility. So Anton Jameson, TJ Warren hasn't played ball in a year plus, though. So... Out of those options, all older options, would you take them over Monk or is it sort of a debate still for the mini MLE? I think still a debate. I mean, like you said, the continuity can't be overlooked, but beyond the continuity, it's literally just the NBA strat, uh, excuse me, NBA cap 
situation. Like, if we get Monk for an extra year, we have his early bird rights. And that, to me, is is a big enough chip that, you know, is it's probably not being discussed enough, but that outweighs a lot of things. Because it then it becomes more forward thinking and not necessarily mm-hmm. just a move for next season. It's, okay, we have Malik for next season, but then we will be in the driver's seat to retain him longer term. This dude will still be like, he won't even be 25 by the time, you know, he's up for his next contract. And then, like you said, it's like, even if, we end up keeping them somewhere in between the five and ten million, or even closer to ten million for a long-term deal. That is a contract that's movable in the future. Whereas where you're looking at some of these other guys, it's like maybe in terms of next year impact they help you, but after that, who's to say? You're just going to turn the revolving door, right? Again, exactly. of like veteran guys, and so you know, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think either of us would be crying if we got Otto Porter or Roco for the mini MLE, right? It's just. I think right now I would still choose the younger guy with upside and try and start to build a young core foundation that can help you now, but also for the future as well. That would be my preference, but it's close. You know, again, if we get Otto Porter Jr., great. That makes sense. We just cross our fingers and hope he stays healthy. Um, You don't want Bubble Jordan? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Let's move on to the power forward. So this is the list that personally for me, and I'm kind of burying the lead here, spoiler alert, but this is the list for me where I'm like, ooh, this is kind of interesting. Um, Power forward crop. It's it's short, and again, I'm just cherry-picking. Chris Boucher from the Toronto Raptors. He is going to be 29 years old, so there is some downside there, but Chris Boucher, we had some... There were some rumors during the trade deadline where we were looking to maybe get Chris Boucher in that three-way deal with the New York Knicks, etc. But Chris Boucher is essentially like Markeith Morris or like the thinner version of Serge Ibaka. He's a guy who can space the floor but also block some shots. I wish he were 25, but he is going to be 29 going on 30, I believe. But Chris Boucher is there as your future Markeith Morris. And then Jalen Smith. So he was on the Phoenix Suns, former lotto pick. I think he was like pick 15 to 20, around that range. Then got traded to Indiana this past season. And he really showed some stuff. And um, he's only 22 years old. He averaged 13.7.6 rebounds on 53% from the field, 37% from three, hitting 1.3 a game with Indy in just 24 minutes um, past the tread, uh, post-trade deadline. He only had 0.4 blocks, but I think he should be a better shot blocker than that historically based off of his uh, college output. So there's Chris Boucher, Jalen Smith, and then Dark Horse, Mo Bamba. Uh, Orlando has a qualifying offer on him that they can give him to make him a restricted free agent. But again, if they rescind that, same way Charlotte rescinded uh, Monk's qualifying offer, then Mo Bamba becomes an unrestricted free agent. So out of that crop, Chris Boucher, Jalen Smith, Mo Bamba, if you can get any of them for the mini MLE, would you take them over Monk? Or who would you take Monk over? It's tough because, right, it's like we don't know what the what the roster is going to look like. But the one guy out of that group who does intrigue me a little bit is, and maybe this is just because I'm the most familiar with him, but it's Chris Chris Boucher, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's has like a, first of all, he's played significant rotation minutes on a playoff True. contending team that has like over, you know, exceeded or exceeded expectations when the team was like a little bit worse last year and he was getting more opportunity. Um, he averaged two blocks a game in addition to, you know, being able to 
score when, you know, in the limited opportunities that he had. Um, I, I mean, look, he regressed a little bit this year shooting the three, but in the 2020, 2021 season, he shot 38% from three on one and a half makes a game. So the skill is in there somewhere too. So between the shot blocking and, and, uh, and you know the, the potential shooting upside, and the fact that his nickname is Swatter Boy, according to Basketball <laughs> Reference. Um, I maybe would go with uh, Chris Boucher, but otherwise, I'm I'm still on the on the uh, Malik bandwagon. That makes sense. So I would take. It's close on all of these guys because they're so tantalizing as big man prospects who can also space. You know, I like Chris Boucher a lot. The 29 year old thing. 29 years old thing gives me pause. And so, which makes me sort of divert to Jalen Smith because I really like his upside and his game. But I guess given the the context of this roster being in win now mode, I, I guess that makes less sense. But I would not be mad if we took any of these guys over Malik Monk, but it's close. So in summary, I think with regards to all these guys that I just named, and again, this isn't a comprehensive list, but they're the guys that have the most buzz right now. I'd probably still take Monk over Gary Harris, GP2, Oladipo, Rocco, TJ Warren. It's close between Otto Porter, Chris Boucher, and Colin Sexton for me. And then I wouldn't mind taking, you know, Jalen Smith, Mo Bamba over Monk just because of position scarcity and uh, the versatility it can provide us with um, in the front court, even though, you know, we want AD to play center, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So in summary... While Monk may be a defensive liability and his fit in the playoffs may be a question, as we've learned, you still need to get through 82 games of a a regular season. You need to get to the playoffs first. And players of Monk's caliber, his primary initiating caliber, are needed to get through that regular season. Is he a starter on a contending team? Probably not. But could he be your long-term version of Lou Will that you can invest in? Absolutely. Can he be your... Next, more perimeter, three-point shooting-oriented version of Jordan Clarkson? Yes. And you need those types of microwave role players that pop off your bench for your contending run, for your contending teams and runs once you finally um, build out your roster. So, um, yeah, and overall, just in, in terms of the internal development and farm system of it all, I think the Lakers, after so many years of just of just flipping their roster and not valuing continuity, it will be nice to finally establish something foundational with a guy like Monk who, it's crazy, right? They invested in him and Malik Monk carries that so heavily for himself. You know, he's like, the Lakers are the only one who looked at me and it almost seems like he's willing to just, if the the Lakers come to him with a mini MLE to just sign on the dotted line, you know? Um, So those types of things matter. And so for the Lakers, it's time to maybe call up some goodwill in that respect. Don't just let the guy walk after you actually were able to take something positive away from such a cursed season. Cultivate what you've already started doing the work on with Malik Monk. Um, And so that's that's one thing that I'd like to see the Lakers do and, and something that I'd put in the positive ledger with regards to retaining Monk. Mining his upside because there is still room for improvement, believe it or not. This dude is still only 24 going on 25 and we've already seen his chemistry with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, even in the small sample size of them running up and down on the court and looking very dynamic and fun. And I mean, so just close this episode, just talk to me about 
in the best case scenarios when you have seen Monk with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, how it's looked. Because if you remember that New York Knicks game, it's like we straight up benched Westbrook because Monk was getting the job done, hitting clutch shots, playing well off of LeBron and AD. And you kind of see a vision of, yeah, in in a pinch, this dude could be pseudo big three with, with those guys, you know? Just talk to me about the flashes you've seen of the the gelling and continuity that Monk has had, not only with the young guys, Austin Reeves, THT, Stanley Johnson, that's already a given, but with the all-star Hall of Famers as well, LeBron yes. James and Anthony Davis. I mean, the fact that he's able to not be scared and play his game, right? I, it, that kind of stuff can't be understated because it's not easy for guys to go play with LeBron and play with AD. And that, that's not a knock on those. Obviously, LeBron is one of the best teammates of all time and as one count, you know, a number of MVPs, et cetera. But it's more of the fact that when you're playing in Orlando for just to use a recent example of a team that's going, gone through a long rebuild, you're not going to be in situations where from game to game, you might have 15 shots and you might have four shots Um, within a game. You might not, you're probably less likely to have a stretch where you don't get a shot for 10 minutes of game time. That is going to be on a case with a team, or that is going to be the case on a team like the Lakers, uh, or a team like the Lakers are aspiring to be, um, in terms of, you know, with the Hall of Famers, with the MVP caliber players and LeBron and AD. And the fact that Malik has shown that he can play in those minutes, right? And and yeah, we ended the season 33 and 49, but because of the play-in structure, we were, until the last three or so, four games of the season or so, we were playing competitive games. Um, Malik has shown that in those types of competitive games, playing with those types of players, he can still continue to put up his production and you don't really lose him for long stretches of time. So the young player stuff is, you know, in terms of we're keeping a lot of those guys potentially that he kind of clicks with. um, That is a factor, but I think the fact that he's been able to gel with the vets is is even more um, telling mm-hmm. to me. Because even though we're probably not going to – other than AD and LeBron, we're probably not keeping most of those vets. It's still nice to know that he has that ability to where like, I, okay, I can play the deferential role. I know there's going to be some games where LeBron, AD, Carmelo, whoever are taking the majority of the shots. Um, but – that doesn't mean, you know, I had my 10-minute stretch where I didn't get to touch the ball and now I'm out of the game. I'll figure out ways to get myself into the game. And I feel like that is even an aspect of his game that developed over the course of the year. Because earlier in the season, it felt like, you know, if he wasn't getting touches early, he was just off for the whole night. Yeah. And towards the end, it, he got better at it didn't matter if if he started slow or didn't get touches early or whatever. He He would be able to pick it up and get himself where he needed to be by the end of the game. And the last thing I'll say on Monk is he hit some big shots for us this season in the clutch, whether it was a three-point shot or a crazy, he's like crossing people over and then scoopy doing a layup in. He hit some big shots. And I think if Kyle Kuzma had done what Malik Monk did this season, whenever he was called upon to start or play 30 minutes, you know, 19 points, three assists, et cetera, I think Kyle Kuzma would still be a Laker, right? I mean, this is what fans have been wanting from Kyle Kuzma, like, when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are out, more consistently step up as that scorer. And 
it was harder for Kakuzma to do so, right? But Malik Monk, as, as we've mentioned multiple times in this episode, doesn't matter what his role was when the time came for it and, they, and Frank Vogel was like, the ball's going to be in your hands. We're going to need you to pick up the scoring. He did it. So with that said, we will end our episode on Malik Monk here. And yeah, just buckle up for this free agency and offseason and we'll see if somehow we can get a little bit more of some leak magic because Uptown Monk gonna give it to you. With that said, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.